Welcome to the Scale with Tech and AI Growth Lab podcast. I am your host, Jay Farr at TechFusion Systems. Our guest is Brian Thompson. Brian is a founder and CEO at GTM AI. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet, man. So I was checking out your product. This is gtmai.io. This is a AI startup of, of some kind. Can you kind of kick us off and give us an overview of what it is and uh, what it does? Yeah. So at a high level, what GTMAI does for you is it researches your prospects and your customers at scale so that you can segment and prioritize them as well as create personalized outreach through things like LinkedIn and email. Okay. Well, that sounds awesome. My first question, and obviously, you know, some of the audience are super nerds and like into AI and keeping up with it. And some of them definitely not. Right. So like one of my first questions is not so much the, the processing and the, in the core of how it functions, but what data gets inputted and like what data comes out, like how do you connect all of that in a way that delivers results. Cause like, obviously like targeting and personalization has always been a struggle and always been something that can really help and drive sales and conversion rates and opt-ins and nurturing. And so it's a, a really exciting theme and idea. And there's been some iterations of that out there, but this sounds kind of next level really. Well, thank you for that. Definitely appreciate that feedback, of course. But yeah, so that's what it comes down to is the quality of the data. And the reality of AI is it's really only as good as the contextual data that you feed it. So something like, for instance, ChatGPT in a vacuum, you know, doesn't really provide a lot of value. If you say like, hey, this is what my product does, you give it a very brief description. You say, give me, you know, create a sales pitch for this. It's fairly underwhelming. And so that's, that's most people's impression of how effective AI is currently. The reality though is when you really max out the amount of context that you can give to AI. So when you're in something like ChatGPT and you're in that chat box, there's a limited number of letters that you can type in there that it can actually process. But if you optimize the context that you put in there, the outputs are incredible. So for us, it's about two things. One, having our own database or we're, yeah, we have a database of 16.5 million companies in the US, which is everyone that's on LinkedIn. And then we partner with some third-party vendors to get things like cell phone data, email addresses, other stuff like that. But it's a mixture of having that, you know, unique database in-house, but then also actively scraping the internet in real time to get live data from things like job boards, websites, news, news sites. And basically, like I say, feeding that contextually into AI, you know, as efficiently as possible so that you can get these, these really high quality outputs. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And that's pretty much been my analysis as well is exactly what you described. I mean, the input is extremely important in the context which you give it really is going to make a huge difference in what kind of quality output you get. So how does the system work? Where do we get our data to, to input into the system? Is this top of the funnel leads that we already have? Is this a list that we curate from certain search parameters off of a place like Sales Navigator or LinkedIn or somewhere else? Uh, how do we curate the input data to, to put into your software? Yeah. So the way that it works is you start by creating a list of companies. And so you create a list of companies within the tool itself. You, you can use, you know, standard parameters like revenue, employee count, industry, et cetera. 
once you do that, you can then prompt that list and it will essentially programmatically go through the list and create a database of partially of what we currently have. And then it'll also go online and find information in real time and add that to the database and then systematically answer all of your questions that you have for each company. So that's the very, very first version of what we're building. So that's going to be our, our MVP for B2B SaaS companies. So yeah, we're still a few steps away from releasing that, but that'll be how it works in the beginning. Yeah, that sounds really, really cool. It sounds like a lot of IO though. Like it sounds like expensive on the IO side, on all the transactional side. Is that the case or, or am I off on that? You mean as far as like the cost, the API costs? API costs and just, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that's really where the quote unquote magic comes in. So I do have a co-founder that's been in AI for, you know, over 12 years. And a lot of the, one of the ways that we attack that problem, because you're right, it is super expensive, right? So like, for instance, you know, the very first version that I ever built, I actually built with ChatGPT, funny enough, I had it write <laughs> all the code for me. And so the first version, I asked it to just basically scrape a list of websites. And by scrape, I mean like literally everything in their HTML. So the number of tokens per website was well over what you could even fit in a context when it was like, you know, a million tokens or whatever, right? So then I had to figure out how to slowly like optimize the number of tokens that I was, that I was sending in. And so the reality is, and this is a little bit above my head, but you can also train AI models separate from ChatGPT that are like open source, for instance, to analyze your prompt. And then that can inform what information you want to feed into the higher level model like GPT. Right. And that's kind of my, and I'm not really engulfed in AI, but, you know, I dabble a bit and, and that's kind of my understanding of it is there's kind of like multiple tiers or levels of input, right? That like are hierarchies for one another. That's at least the way I kind of see it. So you've kind of found a way to optimize and limit the IO and still get a really good amount of data back, basically, from an efficiency level. Yeah. And the reality is, you know, and there's some good articles about this that just came out, but the reality is, you know, to provide value, you're going to have to use multiple models. The reason for that is certain models are expensive and in certain situations, you're going to want to use an expensive model depending on the question or the prompt that you're throwing at it. Whereas there could be other scenarios where you want to sift through a ton of data using AI, but it doesn't need to be super intelligent, right? And so, you know, one of the things that's interesting about that is like in reality, if you could just use one model, all sales technology would like very quickly become commoditized. So because of the fact that, you know, in reality, when you actually are applying AI, you have to use multiple models is also a sign too that it's unlikely that like someone's just going to come out with one app that's just going to eat everything in sales right. revenue tech. But I think that's an interesting delineation is that like for any company to provide really high, you know, really a lot of, or for any company to provide a lot of value, you really do have to use multiple models. That yeah, makes sense for, from like an efficiency standpoint, right? Like don't use more than you need for the, for the job at hand or the, that particular task. So there's obviously some decision-making logic that goes into how the system decides to handle a certain request versus another, right? Yeah. 100%. That's definitely true. 
Got it. So, so basically you just go into your system. You don't even need your own data. You don't have to scrape it from anywhere. Your system does that. You put in the list of companies and your software currently as scrapes, finds a whole bunch of data that you can then use for what, like what's the intended use case? Is it for cold outreach? Is it for enriching existing opt-in leads? Is it both? Yeah. So it could be systematically enriching data from inbound leads, or it could be analyzing your entire total addressable market, potentially even to make like product development decisions, right? Like you could, for instance, let's say you service pool contractors, for instance, and you might build a product that helps them maintain pools. Well, it would be great to research en masse every company in the world that builds pools and see how many of them maintain pools. That could be an example of how you would use it in that sense. So there's a lot of different ways you can use it, but I think the primary way our customers will end up using it is just by segmenting and prioritizing customers to reach out to and sell to. So whether that's prospecting or marketing. And so that's kind of how I see that going initially. Long-term, what we would really love to be able to do, and this is like the end goal, you know, golden vision for us is that we simply take a list of your existing customers, you upload that into our system. We then get access to information around your products and services. So whether that's like a Google Drive link to all your product and service documentation or whatever it is. And then from there, AI automatically researches, finds you customers and prospects, reaches out to them, and sets meetings and enriches your CRM. And then the salesperson just joins the meeting. So that would be like the ideal end goal is where all you're doing is just just uploading your existing customers and we just go look right. alike those customers. Right. Gotcha. And like, what's your place in the market alongside of, you know, all the ad platforms that are kind of going somewhat in that direction as well, obviously for, you know, lookalike audiences, but also just cold targeting audi audiences are starting to all kind of move in that direction to where it's like, just tell us what you want. And like, we'll try to figure it out for you. Just give us your money. And sometimes <laughs> it works and sometimes it doesn't like, so how do you see your product kind of fitting in that like ecosphere of kind of ad platforms and yours kind of get in somewhat similar a sector. How would a company kind of use both? And when would they use like your product versus like ad platform AI targeting? Yeah. So I think the reality is we'll, we're probably more of a competitor to not that, you know, our first version will be the same thing as Zoom Info or Apollo, right? Mm -hmm. But I would say those tools are probably closer to like what is a more immediate competitor versus an, an ad platform. You know, that being said, I think in particular, you know, we're not the same as Apollo. Apollo is a huge company. They're super successful. <laughs> we're still starting out, right? But I would say the closest one that I can think of is Apollo because Apollo does have an email sequencing tool. They do have AI in their platform and they also do provide you contact and company level firmographics. So like email address, right. you know, cell phone, all that stuff. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm familiar with the product. So it sounds like you guys are trying to kind of reach a little bit further than what they have done, at least so far, as far as the, the number of characteristics or the types of characteristics that you can searching and curate based on that's, that's just what it sounds like. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. And also what I've found personally in my career is like, you know, if you could only have one tool, sales tool, it's a data tool, hands down. Like if you already have a product that you can sell, like you're not going to buy a CRM, you're not going to buy like a video messaging platform, you're going to buy 
a data tool so you can call people and sell them right. stuff, right? right? So I think at the end of the day, like that is the most important tool in your arsenal. But the reality is they're hard to use, right? They have a lot of different filtering systems, whether it's like SIC code or you're doing like the number of employees. And the reality is like yeah. salespeople are not good at, at doing that stuff. No, and so, <laughs> yeah, they're good at, at, at selling. And yeah. so from my perspective, the user interface on systems like Apollo and Zoom Info is... Yeah. I'm not saying they're horrible, but I think they're horrible for salespeople. Yeah, I, like, I agree 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I have so, the same experience. Yeah, I mean, salespeople, they just, they don't seem to really like tech very much. The salespeople I deal with, like, they just don't really care about it. They're like, selling's my thing, people are my thing. Like, I don't really want to spend all this time doing all this data stuff. They just don't seem very interested in it, which is, which is interesting. I'm, I'm not sure why, but that just seems to be the case, at least a lot of the time. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Those systems are hard. They're even hard for me to use. And, you know, I've been a hacker for 20 years or more, you know, so that's a very interesting point. Yeah. Ease of use and, you know, kind of the user experience of getting a good result without having to be like a data analyst, you know. And that you hit the nail on the head, right? Because it requires intelligence in that not to say that salespeople aren't intelligent, they're just intelligent in a different way, right? Like a data person, an engineer, someone that sits and interfaces with a computer versus someone that interfaces with a human, you know, it, but it requires intelligence to use those systems and get really good outputs out of them. And so the idea is really to allow AI to do the heavy lifting in that area, because I think the more that AI data, all this stuff gets pushed into sales technology and the industry in general, the reality is salespeople become more and more sales operations type roles and their value is not in doing that. It's really in engaging with people. So it's like, how do you automate to some degree kind of like the sales operations that an individual salesperson is doing? And one thing to go back to list quality, it's like, look, if you're a horrible salesperson and you have a really good list of customers that can benefit from the product that you sell, you're going to sell some stuff. If you are a really, really good salesperson and you're calling a list of people that will never be able to use what you're selling, you're not going to sell anything. And so I think there's a huge, I think one of the reasons a lot of SaaS companies are struggling right now is because they're not good at building lists. And when you don't build good lists, you typically, people don't want to call them. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like you call a gas station when you're looking for a, like a gas refinery and it's like pretty deflating. Yeah. I mean, the reason I'm so interested in your tool is I've used a lot of the so-called advanced tools, the smart tools, the AI driven tools, the data enrichment tools, trying to basically do what your software is going to do. And I've been pretty underwhelmed with what I can get out of them. I'm not saying it's not useful or not helpful, but it just wasn't quite, it didn't quite live up to my expectations. Uh, wasn't quite what I thought it would be. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's a, it's a super interesting idea. I mean, there's definitely a market for, it. I mean, I think all, all of my customers, every entrepreneur, business owner, C-level exec that I talk to, everyone has this challenge of targeting the right people at the right time with the right messaging. I mean, it's really big. And like, I think the tools we have now, we have some really cool tools, but they're a little, they feel a little archaic sometimes. They're kind of hit and miss. They're, they're great. They're good. But I just feel like we could do better, which apparently you agree. Yeah. Can you share at all? Obviously, you know, there's a lot of intellectual property involved, but can you share at all the technology behind your product? Probably not. 
Yeah, I mean, so, you know, like we're definitely using GPT. We're looking at using Claude as well. So we're using a lot of the models that you've probably already heard of. Like we've we've also been looking at just because of how big the context window is, there's a like a model called Long Llama, which has like a 258,000 token window. So, you know, right now we're currently still optimizing which models we're using for which processes. So yeah, I mean, there's nothing in particular that I, honestly, my co-founder would probably be able to speak to that more than I would. You know, I'm more like the the product sales, like interview guy that kind of understands how AI works at a high level. No, that's like, good enough for me, man. Ready. He'd be way above yeah. above my level. Yeah, that's cool. That, that's interesting. What do you think about Elon Musk's announcement of, of XI? Like, what do you think about, like, he's coming out swinging, isn't he? I honestly, I don't know if I heard the part about the coming out swinging. I know that he's making his own. I know that he spent a bunch of money. And he got a bunch of experts. So I don't know if that's specifically what you're referring to, or is there? Did he say anything crazy in particular? He I kind of like Elon because he'll, sometimes he'll say some crazy stuff. <laughs> he, he does. He does say some crazy stuff <laughs> yeah. sometimes. But you, you know, at first you're like, man, that's crazy. But then you're like, that's Elon Musk. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, know, like, his ideas are obviously, you know, he's a brilliant person. And if he says uh, he's, he's going to send a rocket business. to Mars, I'm like, he he's probably gonna. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> like, but what did so, he say about X XI specifically? I think he said it will be a hundred times better than chat gpt a hundred times better i did yeah. not hear that that sounds crazy i yeah, mean something like look, that it's certainly if he said it he meant it the rea the next the follow-up question is like okay but when you know like yeah. you could make one a hundred times stronger than gpt in but how long will it I take you i, I mean i do know he's i heard the interviews with some of the original like engineering team and he kind of had them all introduce themselves and brag a little bit about themselves and i know that he's built an incredibly talented team of engineers so you know you, you can do a lot of things with smart people so we'll see what he does yeah it's it's interesting i i don't know i've you know i'm a bit of a developer but i am not a deep full stack guy i never got in entrenched into any language versus another. I've dabbled around in tons of stuff. I'm mostly an integrator and kind of a software architect and you know, more of a, a business consultant and helping people use technology to make money, right? So I have a surface level understanding of code, but not like someone who's been in the AI developing world for 12 years, you know, so. Yeah, for sure. It, it becomes next level at a certain point. Yeah, no, sure. even, I'm a pretty smart guy, but even me, I'm like, I don't really know a lot. Of, like, <laughs> I'd love to take a look at it and for someone, you know, like your partner to walk me through it. I'd be super like fascinated to try to understand as much of it as I could, but yeah, that'd be cool. So when are you guys gonna launch? like officially like pretty soon right yeah so we're launching within the next 30 to 60 days the first version of what we're launching will be specifically for a very narrow demographic will be for staffers and recruiters mm -hmm. but then our intention is likely within maybe six months after that we'll release a more general b2b SaaS tool i mean it's pretty interesting that you guys have you seem pretty confident on your timelines you know like a lot of times startups are like we have no clue, you know, but you're, you got a pretty good timeline going, huh? I mean, luckily, you know, the reality is, you know, Chen, who is my, my co-founder is like, he's really brilliant. He's very, very good. And we're, you know, he's good at optimizing, right? And luckily too, you know, he's, yeah, we have connections with 
some folks that are, are going to be able to help on our project as well. So it's so far so good, but you know, timelines are always variable, right? Like in yeah. reality with software, you never know oh, yeah. for sure if it'll be, be done by a certain time, but yeah, I mean, it so far, that's what seems possible. So we'll stay optimistic until reality tells us otherwise. Yeah. So when did you guys start this? So I actually started this at the beginning of the year. And essentially, I like I mentioned, I built the first very first prototype with ChatGPT and actually had it coded and, and coded it in Python and everything. And yeah, so that's that's kind of how it started. That's that's cool, man. So you had a, like a cool idea and you're like, I'm going to see if I can make this thing work and it seemed useful and you're like, I see a, a place in the market for it and here you are. Are you guys looking for funding? How are you funded? What does all that look like for you guys? What's your plan? Are you guys uh, holding out for subscribers? Are you looking for funding or partners, partnerships of any kind? I would love to bootstrap the company if that's possible. We will definitely do that. If we have to, to raise funding, if there's a point in time where it becomes very obvious uh, that we're going to need to do that, which I think is very, you know, I think that's certainly possible. Then we will look for funding at that time. I, you know, whenever I do like networking events or whatever in person, I'm out here in Colorado, there are some VCs locally, like, you know, I always make sure to, to have engage in conversations and like foster those relationships, but I'm not actively looking for, for funding right now. Gotcha. Yeah. And I don't blame you. I don't take money unless you have to, right? <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. You know, the, the biggest thing is, you know, want to grow the company and want it to be as successful as possible and be, it be able to have, frankly, as much impact on salespeople's lives as possible so that they can focus on what they do best. Mm -hmm. And if that requires funding, so be it. But Having a board is, I think, you know, one of the great things about working for yourself is that like you and your co-founders make decisions together, right? And there's not necessarily a board to answer to, but sometimes if you're depending on the scenario, it makes sense, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I totally agree on that one. What What's your main like acquisition channel going to be for, for getting subscribers when you guys, and like, when are you going to kind of get serious about, about that? Yeah. So it's funny that you say that I, every single day, you know, I practice what I preach. So I prospect every single day. And so I, you know, I set a bunch of meetings with staffers and recruiters right now and just continue to get their feedback. they will be our initial testers to try and like kind of break the system and, and use it. And then they will be our first wave of subscribers. So I already have kind of like a pipeline built of customers that are super excited, super ready to use the the recruiter staffer version of the tool is just, you know, not available yet. So I, I pretty much do that. I'm already kind of in a way actively doing that, exchanging kind of like early access for feedback and then hoping to convert them to subscribers in the future. Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, I'm on your list, so I hope I get access because I want to <laughs> test drive this thing, man. And I'll tell you what I think. Yeah, for sure. I use a lot of software, like a lot, like more than anyone. Like <laughs> <you> <laughs> <know>. <laughs> literally every client has a different tech stack. Sometimes I forget what I'm looking at. I'm like, it's like the same colors. I'm like, oh, that's not that product. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm more than happy to, to also explain kind of like what the staffing and recruiting version does. It's kind of basic, but also interesting because it touches on what you mentioned before, where like the in and out is really expensive, right? So one of the ways that we're, we're optimizing that for our proof of concept is just by reducing the knowledge base required to research. And so the nice thing with recruiters specifically in business development is 
you know, they're searching for companies that are hiring and they're searching for companies that are hiring specific roles that they're good at placing mm -hmm. above and beyond that. Then they have to figure out who the hiring manager actually is to reach out to them and tell them, hey, look, I have a perfect candidate for you that fits for this role for these reasons. We'd love to chat. Right. And so what the tool does is it allows you to upload a resume select a title that you want to place that person into or like a job title that you want to place them into. And then what it does is it goes online and it searches different job boards like LinkedIn, looks for companies that are hiring that role. It then uses AI to compare the resume to the job description to see if the applicant's a good fit. If they're a good fit, then it'll check the job description versus every manager at that company's LinkedIn profile to guess who the hiring manager is. And then it creates a custom outreach message based on the applicant you have, the job description, and then the hiring manager's profile. So yeah. it creates like a personalized LinkedIn and email message. So that's that what the, awesome. the very first version will do for staffers and recruiters. That is, that is awesome. And like over the last like short period of time, I, I had two different staffing recruiters and they both work on the employee side, people looking for you know, jobs, employment, and then also for companies for, for placement too. So, you know, we were talking about that, that whole process. And of course, it's been quite some time since I looked for a job, thank God, but it is quite a mess. And in fact, you know, we we're talking about some statistics, which I quoted, and they both agreed it was around that the, the success rate of hiring people in any company in the U.S. is about 50%. So one out of two times, they don't work out. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, right? A lot of reasons, but I think like you're kind of starting right at the beginning, beginning of that process. Well, I guess the planning would be the beginning, but you know, the searching and the matching would be like this kind of the second part of that. So it's kind of exciting to think that you could make a big impact on that because it's a mess, you know, and it's interesting how AI is going to be good at that. Because like, if you, if you read job posts, like they all sound the same right? Like must be a team player, must, <laughs> you know, like be self-motivated. Like one's, I'm going to be a nuclear engineer. The other one, I'm a custodian. And it says the same thing, you know? And so I'm exaggerating, of course, but it, they're awfully vague, you know? And so it's very interesting how, you know, AI probably would be really good at, at picking up patterns and very small variations in that to kind of make sense of it. Yeah. And I think especially so with technical roles, right? So like things like life sciences, IT staffing and recruiting, even for some construction recruiting, because it's very technical and specific, you know, as far as like who they're looking for and what their capabilities are, the ability for it to just kind of automatically understand all of that industry jargon. And then it's, you know, it's not going to get tired and misread a word. The other thing is, like we said, you know, salespeople, they don't really like, they're not good at, not that they're not good at researching stuff, but that's not what they're the best at. And so, you know, the reality is the same for business development folks, right? They spend on average somewhere around like 50% of their time, just literally like searching, researching companies, job postings and hiring managers. Yeah, that's crazy. How far out are you guys going to be to having an open API for integrations? That's an interesting question because obviously one of the big things will be the extensibility because you have the whole messaging aspect and the whole outreach and follow-up aspect and all this automation world. So you have like this brain in the middle that's going to, it's going to read all this data. It's going to make all these decisions. It's going to figure all this stuff out. And it's like, okay, well, once you figure all that out, 
I want you to email this person. I want you to go and tag them on LinkedIn and I want you to like their stuff and I want, you know, this and that and the other thing. And then if they respond, I want you to send me a message and I want to send them a gift basket and blah, blah, blah. So what are your thoughts on that? And what are your plans for that? Yeah, I think integrations are critical. So we'll be starting off with Zapier integrations for CRMs. The way that people will initially be able to utilize our mess, our you know, personalized messaging or AI-generated messaging is going to be through leveraging their existing tools. So you probably already have something like HubSpot, which has sequencing, or you have Outreach.io, which connects to your Salesforce and, and sequences emails. And so in those all of those tools, it doesn't really matter whether it's that or it's like Bullhorn, which is a specific tool for recruiters, right? right. They all have what are called custom fields. So when you're creating a sequence, you can just have a custom field, right? And so for example, you can basically upload our data or integrate our data with your CRM so that it refreshes all of the, or updates all the information in your CRM. And then Mm -hmm. when you go to sequence certain contact, it could have a field that says, for instance, LinkedIn icebreaker or email icebreaker, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the first version, we'll just give you one message, right? So you could just pull that field in, in an automated way. Mm -hmm. And then I imagine there's two ways people will use that. Some people will just trust the AI and let the AI send the message. And then some people will have something like an outreach tool in their sequence, have a manual email step where it pulls that data in through a a, uh, tag but then maybe the user actually modifies the messaging just to optimize it. So maybe the AI gets you 90% of the way there, mm-hmm. but then you finish the last 10%. Obviously the long-term goal will be for you to also have the option to just do all of that stuff directly from our platform. So you don't have to have something like, you know, outreach or HubSpot or whatever oh, it is. Oh, wow. So you guys are actually planning on building follow-up systems within your product? That would be pretty long-term. Yeah, yeah I would okay. say that's definitely not like short-term at all. But I right. think, yeah, that makes, that makes sense because, yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother thing and there's already products out there and it's probably, I'm sure, you know, a lot easier just to API and just integrate with some existing tools and concentrate on kind of your, your main thing. Yeah. And that's exactly our approach, right? Is all that really matters is the quality of the output in the beginning, right? The integrating that into your workflow is critical, of course, but actually executing your workflow for you is not something that the first version will do it. It's really, we're we're focused on just giving you really high quality output. So like knowing exactly who to reach out to really high quality messaging to reach out to them with. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I I definitely have noticed in the like the automation marketing space, a lot of products are kind of venturing out of their main uh, functionality and they're trying to add other functionalities where people are typically using other tools to do that an awful lot, like an awful lot, like even the, you know, your basic email outreach automation tools like LemPod and things like that. Now they have LinkedIn automation stuff and then there's tools that are strictly linkedin automation and they're adding email so it seems there's just an awful lot of of crossover and kind of overlap you know it seems a bit much like it seems like a lot of products in my opinion are kind of going a little too too far outside of their main focus but i don't know what do you think about that yeah i kind of you know as a general trend that's definitely happening (laughs) objectively for sure and i think that You know, there's been a ton of news around all of the consolidation in revenue tech. And then on the flip side of that, you also have like all these like near bound and go to market or go to network 
apps that are kind of popping up. I do think that having a consolidated tech stack in sales is important for the reasons that we talked about earlier, which is that salespeople, not to say that they don't like technology. I think they do a lot of, especially tech salespeople, right? But they're not really disciplined and super good at consistently using a bunch of different technologies. And so I think you see things like Salesforce where it's like a nightmare and it's super, not a nightmare, but I mean, it kind of is. If you have a bigger (laughs) company, it's really expensive, right? It costs a lot of money. And so, you know, I think Spot is a great example of a tool where for the average company, like they pretty much do everything you need in one tool, like CRM, sequencing, marketing. That's quite Yeah. And so I think you'll see more tools that are trying to do that, that are trying to do a lot of things at the same time so that they can come in and be like, hey, we'll replace three tools for you. Sign up for us. You know, yeah. I think that's an easy sell. It is a trade-off though. Like, you know, I can appreciate both both sides, but there's still, you know, there's definitely a trade-off. Like, you know, in a perfect world, I would have one piece of software and it would do everything I ever needed, right? Right. <laughs> but that will never happen. We can scratch that, right? And now we can go to the other extreme and we can pick the absolute best of class piece of software for the function, for our industry that fits our, our business model and our workflows, and we can tape them all together, right? That's kind of the other extreme. And then there's, you know, somewhere in the middle. So... I guess there's no perfect answer, which is what I, I deal with a lot with customers because everyone wants like the perfect thing. And I'm like, you can stop looking, it doesn't exist, <laughs> but let's do the next best thing. Okay. Let's do the next best thing, which is let's put something really good together for you. So let's really think about, you know, what you really need and what you don't need and what things can do those things for you, you know, the best for your staff, depending on their, their level of expertise and experience and comfort and, and, and whatnot. So yeah, I see your point. I mean, that's definitely the reason why they do that. Right. And so it's interesting, but I do see some of the negative side and the positive side, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it is what it is. Like I hate HubSpot sequencing. It's really annoying. Yeah. I don't like it. It's just not my preferred format. Right. I love the way that outreach is set up and I'm someone that loves really high quality tools. So I tend to lean more on the side of buying the right tool for the right job, mm-hmm. which it sounds like you might be a little bit more on that side too, uh, versus yeah, just having like one thing that's kind of good at everything. But, yeah. you know, what we like and what people are actually buying yeah. is right. yeah, <laughs> not the yeah. same. Right. That's a good point. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. Because people that don't live in the tech space, they don't have the same experience and understanding of the results that one tool can, you know, will do versus another. And from a marketing, what they're being marketed and sold is is kind of a a different than what it does. Just like when you watch a McDonald's hamburger commercial, that is not a hamburger on the screen. It's a piece of foam, but the people still buy the hamburger. So yeah. And it depends if they're self-implementing their tools in their tech stack too, or whether they're having someone who knows what they're doing do it. That makes a big difference too. So, you know, some of the really easy to implement all-in-one tools are very, very attractive for a company that they don't really have a a tech team or they don't really have a a place to go of a a team they can trust that know what they're doing to put it in for them. And so sometimes that's just an easier implementation, right? I'm so curious because this is the world that you live in as well, where it sounds like you deal with a lot of 
people choosing different softwares and people that maybe have a like lower level of understanding around the technical pieces. Like I kind of am of the opinion, and this has been a recent, I almost feel like, and not to say that, that it's not valuable to get, go outside of your company and get an expert to help you with projects or consulting. But I do think it's like, you got to have someone that works at your company that knows how sales technology works. And if you don't, and it's even if that's not a sales operations person, I think the sales manager needs to, to own that because I think that we just live in a day and age now where you can't afford to just totally not understand how this stuff works. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I will, I will give them to you. So I've been doing this for a very long time. And flat out, the answer is internal staff cannot have the expertise to do it properly. So the best scenario is for a company to hire someone like us who understands all of the tech, the benefits of one product versus another to help them decide what's best for them and what fits into their existing tech stack. So it all works nicely together. And for us to be able to work with someone internally in their business who understands their business and what makes their business the most profitable and the most efficient and the right workflows and the right automations and someone who actually wants to, to have that engagement. So if, if we can get someone internal in the company who really wants to take on that role, work with someone like us, that is the best scenario. Because then you have all of the technology and experience and implementation know-how, and then you have someone within the company who understands that company and that industry and that team better than an outside tech firm can. So that's the best thing to do if you can afford make it. that happen. Yeah. Well, not just afford it, but you know, some companies, you know, believe it or not, are not all that interested. They're like, yeah, we have email, we have Gmail, we have a CRM, and you know, we're we're good. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. We just we just work off of referrals or whatever. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Yeah, we have Google Sheets. I'm like, okay, that's cool. All right. If anything comes up, you can give us a call. And then you have other companies that really heavily invest into optimizing the technology to amplify the efficiencies of their really well thought out and perfected workflows and, and systems. And those companies are, are a lot more profitable. They can grow faster. And I think you even see all over LinkedIn and, you know, I, the name escapes me. I hate to say it, but there's a gentleman I follow, he bootstrapped an e-commerce company to like 20 million a year. And, you know, he posted on LinkedIn the other day, he's like unpopular post for LinkedIn, but we reduced our sales staff from 15 to four and put in, in place better technology and optimized our process and we're, our revenue is growing, you know? And so it's like, I do think the reality is I think for some amount of time, and I think we could all kind of admit this, a lot of startups were just overvalued and just over bloated with the number of people that they had on staff. And I think particularly now that we have better and better sales tools, there's like this huge kind of like for some companies where they just have way too many people <laughs> compared yeah. to what they realistically need and the, the demand for their market. I think it's going to be a very big trend. I think the, you know, the talk about leveraging technology to make your business more efficient, it's been the, like this like fake buzzword for such a long time. And some people have adopted it and they understand it and they know it. But I think for, for most people, at large, it, it sounds cool, but they don't really believe it can do all that much. They're like, yeah, it's it's pretty helpful, but it's not really, it can't multiply your business by 3x. Yes, it can. And I think we're at the point to where the marketplace is, is becoming a lot more educated about the the real possible and potential results of leveraging technology properly. And people are starting to listen 
to that message. And, and as people start to do that and adopt those high efficiency technology setups in their businesses and they start to scale faster and they start taking the market from their competitors, everyone starts waking up and going, oh crap, we better start do doing that too now, you know? And so I think we're seeing not the very, very beginning of it, but kind of the beginning stages of a very big trend of that. Yeah, it, it does seem like the rubber is meeting the road in a lot of ways. Just frankly, I mean, even with just the number of tools that are popping up like all the time, right? Like it's crazy. It's yeah. actually, and I monitor that, right? I'm, I'm yeah. of course trying to like figure out what's going on and where pe what people are thinking and where they're going. And yeah. it's incredible how many tools are popping up. And I think the reality is yeah, like it kind of has been a buzzword as far as like increasing business efficiency and stuff like that. But I think mm -hmm. now there are tools that do deliver enough value where one person can really actually do the work of four people. You know, mm -hmm. you have a parallel dialer loaded up with high quality cell phone information mm -hmm. and you're, you know, they're all high intent companies that are in the right industry and could right. potentially be a buyer for you. Like right. that person can set the same amount of meetings five BDRs can, right? right? So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's becoming real. And it's another thing is, you know, setting all that up, like you said, very expensive, right? Very, very, it used to be way more expensive. Now it's more affordable than it was. But I think we're going to see that price continue to go down because like one of the things that what we're doing is really standardizing a lot of different tech stacks. So it's like, you know, you can have a jelly donut or a chocolate donut. These are the two donuts. They're both fantastic, but you can't have half one and half the other, right? Because these two tech stacks work very, very well together. But if you crisscross them and mix and match them, they don't work very good. And I think, you know, through a lot of standardization and a lot of like, proof of concept of efficiency models and improving business efficiencies, it'll become more widely adopted and it'll just kind of be kind of this, you know, tidal wave that kind of sweeps across the kind of business ecosystem. And yeah, I kind of see that happening, but it's, it's interesting that it's taken so long to kind of pick up, honestly. But yeah. And I think that brings me to an interesting point too, which I think, is I I do think SaaS platforms and APIs and integrations has really, really helped that along. You know, because like for a long time, it was hard to get stuff to talk to each other. It was really hard to do integrations and you couldn't have one tool do everything. You have to have two. They can't talk to each other. One doesn't have an API. The other one, you know, so the connectivity is a lot of it as well. And so, like, I think technology is also catching up to the point where it's giving us the tools that we need to do some of these things. Yeah. And I mean, not that, you know, and, and I will say too, like something like Zapier, right, makes that a lot easier for a lot of people, right? Yeah. A large organization is may not want to use Zapier, but for most mid-market and small companies, like that's going to be more than sufficient, right? And I think what you mentioned as far as prices coming down on sales tech, I agree with you. And I think that what companies have already realized for a while, but now it's like really the case is the having a unique database is everything like because you know everyone has access to gpt's api and now more and more ai will become like aws is it's it's just going to be a service that you plug into and what will provide the most value is going to be can you create and curate a unique database that gives your customers value right and so i think a easy example of that is like intent data from data companies in the rev tech space is like one example of like very unique data, right? That's usually different even between different intent companies.
it's really it's an exciting time i'll be honest like i just remember as a kid like see i'm a i think i'm a little bit older than you but like we didn't have all this stuff even when you were a kid we didn't have you know all the tech that we have now and it's like cloud technologies was this big buzzword i keep kind of telling this this story to kind of compare it to ai cloud the cloud this and the cloud that and everyone had microsoft office installed on their work computer and they had like a share folder on the server Right. <laughs> and like that was there was no cloud technology and cloud technology sucked for like a long time. And it was all this hype and all this hype. And then it started getting good. And then it started getting really good. And then everyone started using it. But that took 10 or 15 years. But with AI, it's going to what do you think it's going to take three years? Yeah, I mean, I think the raw material is here today. That's my honest opinion. I think it's a little expensive. I think the raw material is expensive, going back to the in and out thing at the beginning of the conversation. But I think the materials here, it's just a question of how quickly people will build things that change the world. That's my personal opinion on that. That's really, that's interesting. Yeah, that sure is interesting. There's a lot of development. You have Bubble, the Bubble app is, is pretty cool. You know, the no code, low code stuff is really kind of making code and AI accessible to people who aren't veteran developers too, which just gives people, people like me, people like yourself who aren't like super developers, like a way to architect like a premise of something that could be a useful product in the marketplace and just kind of try it out and, and see if it's good. And then, you know, from there you can scale it. So I see a lot of that. I can't believe how many apps I see that are being monetized that are built on bubble. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. shocking. It's shocking. Like I see like these guys are like, yeah, we got this app. We developed this software and like their sales are like impressive. And I'm like, these guys don't know anything about code at all. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I've seen some podcasts about bubble. I haven't used it personally, but I've heard that it's, it's incredibly impressive. So, yeah, I mean, it's more I, than I thought it would be. I'll say that. And I think going back to what you said, the ability for, someone that's not technical to create a prototype, even if you aren't an AI expert, if you have a really good idea and you can create a prototype and you approach someone that is an AI expert, well, guess what? They're going to have a lot more respect for you and they're going to be a lot more likely to be interested and potentially work with you on it. You know, And so I think that's the really interesting thing is in some ways, you know, where most startups were founded by technical people, I could see a future where that not completely changes, but where all of a sudden more like business oriented type people, people that aren't programmers are able to build things that are, are really cool. And as, as it sounds like that's already happening on bubble. So. Yeah, I do see that trend a lot. Yeah, man. Awesome stuff. So you have any final thoughts, topics, uh, information you want to give us about your company, your product, your market, what you're looking for, any final thoughts? Yeah, that being said, for any any staffers or recruiters that might be listening to this, you know, definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn or go to gtmai.io and sign up on the wait list. Would love to connect with any of you all to get your feedback on our first version and get you early access. And then hopefully for everyone else that's listening, you know, we'll have something for the general B2B sales audience sometime next year. That's awesome. I, I can't wait to see it. And so, yeah, everyone, that's Brian Thompson on LinkedIn and their website is gtmai.io. And if you scroll right to the bottom, all you have to do is put in your email and click submit. And you're going to be on the wait list. You can get early access to some cutting edge uh, AI sales data. So, yeah, man, that is 
cool stuff. Brian, thanks so much for being here. Really enjoyed having you on the show, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Awesome.